So in Mark chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, and unto, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousand, and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city, and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus, and see him that was possessed with the devil, and had the legion, sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they saw they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath compassion on thee. And he departed, and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. In Mark chapter 5, we see a man possessed with demons, plural. When Jesus asks the name, the demon says, Legion, for we are many. This is a legion. There is an army of demons that has possessed this man. There were about 2,000 pigs that were possessed by demons when Jesus cast the demons out of the man and into the swine. 2,000. This man has got problems. This man is in as bad of a shape as you can possibly imagine. It's as bad of a condition. It's as hopeless of a condition. And we don't know how he got to be in that condition. We were talking this morning in Sunday school about helping someone who got themselves into that situation. You knew what you were getting yourself into. Demonic possession is not a virus you happen to pick up in town. All right? Y'all ever go into Walmart and the buggy's there? They've got that little thing where you can pull the little sanitizing wipe and you can wipe down the... Do that. Okay? Them buggies are nasty. All right? Sanitize them. I've turned into Adrian Monk with this sort of thing. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's bad. But you don't, you don't pick up a demonic possession like you pick up pink eye or a common cold or anything like that. Demonic possession follows intense, sinful activity and rebellion against God. And so this man is possessed by a legion of demons. 
And he can't get himself out of this. He can't cast the devils out of himself. He's not enjoying this. He is in constant torment. But he can't help his situation. Everybody else, nobody else, can help his situation. They try to just lock him up in chains out in the tombs, and they couldn't even do that. I mean, there's nothing anybody could do for this man. And he remains in this condition until he meets Jesus. Jesus liberated this man from his demons. And he restored this man to dignity and sanity. You, I don't, I've never met somebody that said, help me, pastor, I'm possessed by a demon. But I have heard people talk about their demons, their addictions, their struggles, the sin that so easily besets them. You may be struggling with something this morning. The Lord will liberate you from that and redeem you from it. In this passage, we see the plight or the struggle of the man possessed. We see the liberation of the man possessed. And we see the response of the man possessed. Let's look at the plight of the man possessed. This man who is possessed with these devils... He was as good as dead. In fact, in verse 3, we see that he is dwelling among the tombs. Why is he dwelling among the tombs? Because nobody living was out there. Nobody living wanted to be around him. He was completely cut off from society. And remember, the biblical definition of death is separation. This man is cut off. He is separated. He is living among the tombs. He is as good as dead. He's gone ahead and cut out the middleman, and he has placed himself out there because he is as good as dead. Death. He's as good as dead. That's his situation. Sin brings death. Remember that. Sin brings death, and death is separation. Sin separates us from God. It separates us from fellowship with God. It interferes with our relationship with God. Sin brings death. Death is, separate, is separation. This man was separated from his family and friends. He was separated from God. He was as good as dead. Now, we don't know how this man came to be possessed by a legion of demons. Demonic possession, as I mentioned earlier, is not a virus. You don't randomly pick it up. Demonic possession is something that happens when you give Satan space to work in your life. And this is often done and your rebellion against God. Amen. Judas. Judas Iscariot. He didn't play with a Ouija board. Judas Iscariot wasn't even a drug addict. Judas Iscariot rejected Jesus as being the Christ. He rejected Jesus as being the Messiah. He was doing this Jesus thing so maybe he could get a high-ranking office out of the deal or he could make some money. The Bible tells us in the book of John that he was the treasurer. He was the one who held the bag. And he was also a thief. He was embezzling from Jesus himself. And the Bible tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, in John thirteen twenty-seven, that Satan entered into him. And Jesus said, that thou doest, doest quickly. Mm -hmm. And for 30 pieces of silver, the price of an unskilled slave, Judas sold out 
the only begotten Son of God. Demonic possession comes by giving Satan space to work in your life by rejecting Christ and rebelling against God. And it can worsen when you try to fight these demons on your own. Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45, we're told the story of a man. Jesus said that when an, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he searcheth and wanders, wanders in dry places and can't find rest, so he returns home and finds the man that he left swept out and garnished. The house has been cleaned. And so he invites seven of his friends, and the latter state of that man is worse than the first. You try to do this religion thing on your own without Christ. You try to do self-help and self-improvement on your own without Christ. You're going to make it worse. Amen. And you can see this with dieting, crash dieting, these, these fad diets. Just, just eat nothing but lettuce for a month. And you do that. And the first time you touch a McNugget, you gain every last pound back plus ten. Yeah. All right? You're trying, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not making a real change. You're making a superficial change, which results in a temporary situation, which leaves you in a worse state. You want to lose weight, and I'm not an expert on this, all right? But if you want to lose weight, you make a lifestyle change. Krista Johnson over at Fit by Faith tells us, more Jesus inside me, less of me outside me. I don't, that's something along those lines. More Jesus inside, less of me outside, is, is how she says it. Amen. But there's got to be a change within you. Yes. Doing, doing life without Christ and trying to fix yourself without Christ is only going to make things worse. Mm -hmm. Well, now we don't know how this man became possessed with this legion of devils, but we do know that his possession led him to total destruction and total degradation, cut off from society and left for dead. So this man is as good as dead, He's in bondage. We say he was possessed by a legion of devils. He was possessed. Think of that word. Possessed. Possessed. Owned. Controlled. In the possession of. He's not free. He's in bondage. He was totally controlled by the demons. He had no free will. They took total control of him. And sin will take total control of your life. Mm -hmm. This man was in bondage. And that's what sin is. It's bondage. It's slavery. Romans chapter 6 verses 20 through 21 say that when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. When you were the servants of sin, think about that. When you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. People say that I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to have to give up this little thing I like to do. I don't want to have to live this lifestyle. Being a Christian is so legalistic. And people paint out Christianity like it's some sort of a bondage. And Paul points out, he says, when you were a servant, when you were in bondage to sin, when you were in slavery to sin, you were free from righteousness. The thing he says in verse 21 what fruit had you in those things whereof you're now ashamed? That was not a good road. It didn't work out for you, did it? But the thing to notice from Romans 6.20 is that we were the servants of sin. Sin is bondage. It looks like freedom, but it's really slavery. That's what it is. It may look fun, but it's slavery. It's bondage. It's destruction. It's agony. Y'all ever seen Pinocchio? 
Yeah, I remember when they, they, they got them all on a ship and like, hey, we're going to go on this ship. We're going to have a good time. We're going we're gonna to party and do whatever we want to. No groans to tell us what happened. What happened to those boys? Mm-hmm. They all got turned into donkeys where they got to be put into slavery. I don't think Walt Disney meant to give us that picture. But I have never seen a more accurate picture of slavery in my life. It's tempting. It's attractive. It's, it's freedom. It's do what you want. Nobody tells you no. Uh-huh. And the next thing you know, you're a donkey pulling a cart out of a coal mine. Yep. <laughs> so that's, that's what sin is. It's slavery. Bondage. And this man was in agony. In verse 5, he was always night and day in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. He cried out in misery. He cut himself. This was continual. Sin offers and promises endless pleasure, but endless agony is actually what it delivers. And this man was unable to liberate himself. Perhaps you're here this morning, you're battling demons. Maybe not literal demons, but there's temptations, there's troubles, there's there is something that is bothering you that you are struggling with. Perhaps you're battling, perhaps you're battling with, with literal demons. If you tell me that, I will not think you're crazy. Perhaps you're battling literal demons. Perhaps you're a slave to sin. You feel hopeless. There's no way it's getting better. There's no way out of this. My life is just going to keep going downhill. As good as dead. In bondage. In agony. Unable to have a breakthrough. Unable to break free. Like this man, you can be liberated by Jesus Christ. Let's talk about this man's liberation. Verse 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. This man has little control, no control over what he can do. As we'll read on, we'll see that the interaction between this man and Jesus is actually between Jesus and the demons. So he can't even negotiate with God at this point. He is totally helpless. He's not even capable of asking for deliverance. He's not even, I mean, if Jesus had said, okay, say this prayer after me, this man would have been in trouble. He's not even capable of doing that. What is he capable of doing? What was this man able to do? The Bible tells us, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Yes. What's this man capable of doing? The only, and when we say worship, he didn't run up to Jesus and start singing, Lord, I lift your name on high. We talk about he worshipped him, he bowed, he fell down before Christ. The only thing that this man could do is throw himself down at the feet of Jesus. That's all he could do. This man could not go to church and ask to be baptized. This man could not make a donation to the orphanage. This man could not do anything good on his own. The only thing he could do is throw himself at the feet of Jesus. As sinners, we are incapable, unable, it is impossible for us to perform works of faith in order to be saved. Now this is something that separates... Baptist doctrine, and dare I say true Christian doctrine, from many of the other religions out there. Because other religions say, if you do this, you can be enlightened. If you do this, you can be righteous. There are even Christian denominations that say you must perform works of faith in order to be saved. This man couldn't do any works of faith. The thief on the cross couldn't do any works of faith. And you know what? We can fool ourselves. 
we can't even do works of faith in order for salvation. As sinners, we are incapable of doing anything for our salvation. All we can do is surrender to the Lord. All we can do is bow down before the king and place ourselves at his mercy. To throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and to call out to him for forgiveness and salvation. To beg for his mercy. To beg for his forgiveness. That's all we're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And then what he does with that is completely up to him. We can't influence it. I can't whip out a contract and say, Jesus, the Bible says in this verse, therefore you owe me salvation. <laughs> no. Jesus made a promise. If you repent and believe, I will save you. But I can't tell him that he owes me that. Business law. To have a contract, you have to have consideration. That means the two sides are swapping something. You give me something of value, I give you something of value. We have an agreement. But if you don't have anything of value to give me, then legally, we cannot have an agreement. I may give you something of value anyway, but that's not a binding contract. We have nothing of value to give Jesus. We have no consideration to pay Jesus. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned out of grace, but of debt. God owes us nothing. God gives us salvation. Mm -hmm. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't buy it. There's nothing we could do to warrant it. That's grace. So you put yourself at the feet of Jesus. You're asking for his mercy, for his forgiveness, for his salvation. And he's under no obligation to. But you know he'll do it. That's trust. That's faith. That's belief. And that's what it means to believe on him. You trust that he paid for your sins on the cross. You trust him to receive you because of what he did on the cross and because of the promise he made to you. You believe on him. You place yourself at his mercy. That's repentance and faith for which the Lord gives salvation. Mm -hmm. That's all this man here in chapter 5 was capable of doing, was to throw himself at the feet of Jesus. That's all he could do. And in verse 8, Jesus said, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Now, when the man threw himself at the feet of Jesus, Jesus didn't tell the man, Okay, here's what you've got to do to overcome this demon. No, because the man was incapable. He commanded the legion of spirits to come out of the man, and he expelled them into a herd of swine, which then stampeded to destruction. Brother Jimmy likes to point out in this passage that, not, that pigs won't even live in the conditions that some people will live in. Jesus cleansed the man. This man did not cast the demons out himself. He didn't reform himself he didn't turn his life around he just threw himself at the feet of jesus jesus cleansed him of the day of the demons when you go to the lord for salvation he will deal with your demons he will deal with the sin in your life 
and he will cleanse you and he will transform you. Now you're going to go through some things to have that happen. It's not going to be a magical little bibbity boppity boo moment where the fairy godmother shows up with the pumpkin carriage. The transformation is going to happen over time through life experiences and scripture bears this out. But the Lord will cleanse you of your demons. He'll save you, then he'll transform you. And let's see what happens to this man in verse 15. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Here you have a man who has just been liberated from his demons, has just been saved, has just been transformed. And he is back in his right mind and he's got his clothes on. He's buttoned up his shirt and he is sitting upright and he is behaving himself. This man is a new man. The Bible tells us that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He has completely been transformed. Given a sound mind, clothed and calm. The Bible teaches us that God has given us a spirit of power and a spirit of a sound mind. This guy has a testimony. He was possessed by demons, but he's been liberated. He was out of control, but now he's in control. He has totally been transformed. And when you look at this man's life, there is a noticeable change. He was transformed. And he had such a testimony. That change was so significant that everybody there was afraid of Jesus. Like, uh, uh, we don't know what just happened here, but Jesus, you got to go. And don't be surprised if that's people's reaction to the change that the Lord brings in your life. When Christ liberates you from sin, when he saves you, it changes you. You're a different person. And that's what you want. You want to be healed. You want to be liberated from sin. Uh, 20 years ago, I was a different guy. Telling the Smiths, you know, stories of what I did in college. And they're like, we're going to have to keep an eye on you. <laughs> no, I'm different now. Amen. There's like three funny stories about that period of my life. And I told them all three of them. <laughs> but you're, di- you know, you're changed. Yes. Yes. You're different. You're a new person. He's transformed you. And that's what you want. Yes. Otherwise, why come to Jesus? The idea that we can remain in our sinful state after salvation is not only wrong, but it makes no sense. The world is out there saying the world is trying to adopt this form of Christianity that has no power to it. The world is adopting a form of godliness while denying the power of God. They say, well, the Lord will just accept us all as we are. That they say that it doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter how you behave. It doesn't matter what your values are. It doesn't matter what you believe. Just you know, just know that God's going to receive us all because He's graceful. And this this form of Christianity does not impact people. It does not change people. It does not help people. It does not transform people. It does not liberate people. There's no transformation that takes place in that message. Because there's no repentance and there's no faith in the Lord. And when there's no repentance and faith, the Lord is not there. And when the Lord's not there, no change happens. Mm-hmm. Why? What's the point of that? Yeah. I think that's the devil's point. Amen. 
If he can convince everybody that it's all that Christianity's pointless, then nobody will care, nobody will believe, and then he'll be able to rule their hearts. Deception. But a true encounter with Christ will change you, will transform you, will heal you, and that's what you want. The idea of coming to know Christ as your Savior and remaining the same old sinner not only is theologically wrong, but it makes no sense. Romans chapter 6, verse 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Paul is not asking, why don't you figure out how to change because this is part of being in the club. What Paul is saying is, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He's saying, show me the math on this. How does this work? Because it makes no sense. All right. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. For how shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? It makes no sense to continue in sin after you've met Jesus. It makes no sense to continue in sin knowing that it was your sin that sent Jesus to the cross. It makes no sense to continue in sin knowing that it's your sin that had you condemned and poised for eternal damnation. It makes no sense. No. A true encounter with Jesus changes you. And notice what I'm saying. It changes you. He changes you. He transforms you. He works in your life. I'm not telling you that you know Jesus now, so straighten it up, buddy. All right? You, you do want to respond. But the Lord's going to straighten you up. Amen. Now, if you struggle against that straightening up, then you'll have an experience. <laughs> and it won't be a fun one. But he will straighten you up. So be changed. Enjoy the fruit of the liberation that Christ brings into your life. Finally, let's look at the response of the man possessed. I've read this story a million times. I have missed the, okay, maybe not a million. I do exaggerate some. But I've read this story a bunch. And I've always ended this story with the man went to go tell all his friends and we should all tell about Jesus, right? I keep missing verse 18. I want y'all to think about verse 18 for a minute. He that was come into the ship with Jesus, Jesus, when Jesus, when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. This man that has just been liberated from these demons wants to be with Jesus. Yes. Jesus is getting in the boat. He wants to go with Jesus. Why does he want to go with Jesus? I think because he was so thankful to Jesus that he wanted to work with Jesus. Amen. Jesus had these disciples. I want to be one of them guys. I'm ready to go to work for Jesus. You know, he had the young man. He came to Jesus and said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. He's like, you know, the animals have places to go. I can't even afford the Motel 6, all right? And, and the guy's like, oh, maybe this is not so glamorous after all. And he walks off. And you have, you have the rich young ruler, you know, what must I do? And Jesus says, sell all you have. He goes, I don't know about this. You know, but this man that was possessed with these devils, he's like, Lord, I'm ready to go. I think he climbed in the boat. I, I, think, I think he got in and sat down, and he's putting his seatbelt on. And Jesus is like, hold on, hoss. But... 
Think about where this man is. See, because we get so we get and we get so going through the scripture and reading. Let's get our daily reading done, and let's get let's get a lesson written out of this, and let's get this done. We miss the human element of this. This man has just been liberated from demons. He's just been transformed. He's just been rescued. He's just been saved, and he knows that Jesus did it, and he knows that without Jesus, none of that would have happened. He is he is eternally grateful for to Jesus, literally. And he wants to follow Jesus wherever he goes. He wants to learn from Jesus. He wants to serve Jesus. And this is the response the redeemed should have toward the Lord. Are you grateful for your salvation? Did your salvation free you yes. it did me I had this lifted off of my chest and my shoulders your your salvation bring you joy yes. you know for one who has truly been redeemed the impulse would be to return that love to the lord the desire should be to follow jesus to serve him the lord First loved us. How's that song go? Oh, how I love Jesus. Yes. Because he first loved me. The, the, the response should be to return that love, to be grateful, to want to serve the Lord. Yes. See, and if we flip over to Romans chapter 6, and we won't this morning, but if we flip over to Romans chapter 6, there's a debate. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? I mean, so since it's all paid for, can we enjoy as much as we want to? Does your, does your doctrine of salvation by grace apart from works give you a license to sin? Mm-hmm. No. The opposite should be true. Yes. God's grace and his love should give you a reason not to sin. Right. Now many don't believe this and they don't do this. They don't have that response toward Jesus, that response of love, that response of gratitude, that response of, I want to live my life for him. Many are not like the man who wants to get in the boat and go with Jesus wherever he goes, all right? They don't, you know, they, they want to go back to the old life. They want to just keep on as, as it always has been. You know why? Because they don't realize they've been liberated. Many don't trust the Lord's redemption. They don't trust him to save. They don't think that they were really saved. They think to some degree they still got to work it out on their own. Others don't think that there was anything to be saved from. And I was basically a good guy. I just needed to get my ticket punched. There we go. That's not, that's not salvation. Because if you're not trusting the Lord to redeem you, you're not trusting the Lord. If your faith to get into heaven is not exclusively in Jesus, you're not trusting the Lord. And if you don't think there is anything to be saved from, I dare tell you that you never repented. Because you don't think that there is anything wrong with what was going on in your life before you met Jesus. That's not salvation. Repentance and faith are not there. Some say that salvation by grace through faith without a requirement of works is an excuse or a license to sin. In reality, it's the reason you don't sin. You are grateful and in love with the Lord for rescuing you from sin. How shall we? That are dead to sin live any longer therein. This man wants to go with Jesus. I feel sorry for this man. I mean, he's just been liberated. He's got his right mind. 
He is not beset by these demons. He's not being held back anymore. And, you know, he's back in his right mind. Things are back to normal. Except, now you know, you know how townspeople are. He'll always be that guy, right? He wants to go with Jesus. Serve Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Talk with Jesus. Let Jesus teach him. This man's had a hard life. Just wants to go with Jesus. Jesus says, no. Mm -hmm. I feel sorry for this man. Mm -hmm. I'm not questioning the Lord at all. Don't, don't Don't take me wrong. But to be told no. How many people did Jesus say, follow me, and they didn't? I'll follow you, but let me go bury my father first. Jesus yeah. says, let the dead bury their daddy. Everybody's got, oh, I'd go with you, but I, I got these obligations here. Mm-hmm. This man, no obligations. I'll follow you, Jesus. Just take me. Jesus says, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm taking that too personal. Oh. <laughs> Verse 19, though, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends mm-hmm. and tell them how great things the Lord hath mm-hmm. done for thee. And have had compassion on thee. What the Lord wanted this man to do. Was to share his testimony. And lead others to the faith. And he did. Yes. Your testimony. Should point others to Jesus. Amen. Your testimony can impact the kingdom. Yes. It's okay to share your testimony. Yes. It's okay to let people know that you were not always perfect. That it's okay to let people know that you were a sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because that testimony can impact people. Yes. We have a man in this community. He, his testimony is right there in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. Dallas Houston. Mm-hmm. People that knew Dallas Houston in the 1970s, 1980s, local radio personality here. Um, They'd tell you about a drunk man, an angry man, a man that was hard to get along with, a man that was combative. I don't know what year it was. Late 80s, early 90s. The Lord saved Dallas. It's a new Dallas now. I've never met the combative Dallas. I've met a warm, loving, advising, counseling Dallas. I've met a Dallas that went before an entire group of women and confessed his sins to them. I know a Dallas that is preaching the gospel now, this morning, at the, uh, at the First Baptist Church of Center City. Leads a men's Bible study. That's a, te- that's a testimony. And that's a testimony that God can take somebody that many would regard as the worst sinner in town turn him into a beacon of light. Your testimony can change lives. Are you driven to glorify the Lord with your life? That's what we're about here. That's what we believe. What we believe as Christians at Life Point Baptist Church that we were all sinners. There's not a single one of us that can look back on our lives prior to salvation and say, we were any better off than this man possessed with these devils. I didn't live in a cemetery. I mowed one. But I didn't live in a cemetery. I didn't have chains that I had broken. I did not have a legion of devils possessing me, although Jessica may debate that. But I was pretty bad off. I was sinful. I was wretched. I was 
in bondage to the sin. I had bad ideas. I was being led down the path of destruction. And God sent these messengers into my life. Mm -hmm. The director of the Association of Baptist Students, the preacher at University Baptist Church, the preacher at Craft Baptist Church, the, the pastor at Rocky Springs Baptist Church, the, uh, the next pastor at Rocky Springs Baptist Church, youth directors, Jessica, evangelist, Jessica, Christians who wanted to witness to me, Jessica, she was persistent. And then the Lord at the right time convicted me of my sin and called me to salvation. And Brother Jim Slocum said, you'll be different. I said, I got to go to work tomorrow, Jim. Ain't nothing changed. I was wrong. The Lord completely changed me. This is every one of us. Because y'all have all shared bits and pieces of your testimony. And you could have lived a squeaky clean life. Still be in the same bondage this man possessed with these de these devils was in. Because you can be in bondage to the squeaky clean life, trying to stay pleasing to the Lord when it's nothing that you do that pleases the Lord, but it's your faith that does. Amen. Do you know the Lord is your Savior? I'll ask the question once again. Jesus asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What will your answer be? Any answer less than his redemption? And his grace on you will leave you short of heaven.